Today I'm going to be reading three excerpts from John Calvin's sermon entitled On Glorifying Only in the Cross of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you use this reading to sever the affections in my heart for the world and to place them on you? Oh Lord, would you use this reading to sever the affections in the listener's heart for the world, to redirect them to you? And would you stir up our hearts and our minds our whole beings to love and serve you more. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage on which this sermon is based is Galatians 4, 16 to 18, which I will read first. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Excerpt 1. Paul specifically speaks of the cross here because he seeks to knock down and trample underfoot all haughtiness in man. For we always want to be someone in and of ourselves and maintain a certain dignity. Therefore, in order to rid us of such a wicked desire, Paul shows us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, should be our only cause of glorying because he was crucified for us. Following on from this, he adds that we will be crucified to the world and the world to us when we have learned to glory only in the grace that our Lord Jesus Christ has brought us. How? Those who are not crucified to the world, that is, those who desire to have a position of some authority and to be important and who ask to be held in honor and promoted, in other words, those who are diverted here, there and everywhere by their lusts certainly do not yet know what it is to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ, for they begin at the wrong point. They are confused within themselves. Therefore, Paul can say with confidence that when his glorying was founded upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, he abandoned and forsook the world. By world, he means all that appeals to our flesh, to men who neither think of God nor of eternal life, but are given over to avarice or ambition. Each one is controlled by his own natural instincts, and not one looks beyond this world. When men follow their inclinations, and when God has not touched them by his Holy Spirit or drawn them to himself, it is true to say that though they have all strayed and roamed, Yet there is a great variation in their desires, such that when we examine the matter, we find that one is heading in a certain direction, whilst another is pulling in completely the opposite direction. Thus it seems as if men are very different from one another. However, they are all alike in one area. That is to say that, that 
they want to be important in the eyes of the world and are given over to their personal profit or pleasure. In other words, they are so enmeshed in things here below that they do not mind being separated from God. But Paul says that if all our glorying is in Jesus Christ, knowing that by means of his cross, he has committed us to God the Father and has secured the kingdom of heaven for us, then it will be easy for us to withdraw from the world and cut ourselves off from it, as it were. Why? Whoever has been cut to the quick and overwhelmed with a sense of their own sin will surely seek the grace offered to him in Jesus Christ, and the world will be worth nothing to him. Excerpt 2 Therefore, let us join together these two things. Namely, let us be crucified to the world and the world to us, glorying alone in Jesus Christ crucified. Now this is easier to say than to do, and yet each of us, wherever we are, must strive to do so. Once we have heard this doctrine, we must put it into practice. For if we would be esteemed and accounted Christians before God and his angels, we must conform to what Paul tells us here. Indeed, if we were not otherwise minded, we would find plenty of opportunity to do so, as I have already said. For all those who simply look within themselves and consider what they are really like and what condition they are in while still separated from Jesus Christ will be terrified of feeling the wrath of God which they deserve. They will feel that they are ruined by their accursed state, and that, it would be, and that it would be better if the earth were to swallow them a hundred times rather than live under this curse for a single day as the enemies of God who cannot escape his hand. Let us therefore learn to examine ourselves. Those who wish to adorn themselves according to this world, especially women, will gaze into a mirror with great curiosity and concern, yet our poverty and filth will not be reflected there. In order truly to humble, our, humble us before God, or make us consider what we glory in, the one who recognizes his shame and ignominy will certainly seek to remedy it, if indeed the Spirit of God is working deep within him. And he is not, as I have already said, intoxicated by Satan. Let us therefore learn to examine ourselves sincerely, without flattery, and when we have acknowledged our poverty and misery, let us come to the Lord Jesus Christ, since, by means of the cross, all haughtiness, self-worth, and boasting is cast down. Let us be truly crucified to the world, and may it mean nothing to us. Excerpt 3 Also the world must be crucified to us. How is this? In comparison to the spiritual riches that Jesus Christ brings us, and which we enjoy through him, may we esteem the things of this world as straw and corruption, since all is corruptible. Furthermore, all that men covet so earnestly and with such determination that they become completely hindered by it are nothing more than nets that Satan has spread in order to catch them. Are they not illusions and deceptions? Yes, this is most certain. 
Since this is so, let us learn that the world ought to be nothing to us, and let us be completely persuaded and assured of the fact that God is merciful to us and acknowledges us as his sons and heirs. He has blessed us, and without his blessing we would be most miserable. Hence, we are to pass lightly by this world and not be attached to it or held back for anything. This must always be our aim. We know that we must make haste to the place to which God has called us. And if we become enmeshed by the love of this world, we will become alienated from our God. This is what we are to remember from this passage. From Martin Luther's Commentary on the Book of Galatians. This section is from Galatians 2, verse 19. He's commenting on the difference between the law and the gospel. This is the principal purpose of the law and its most valuable contribution. As long as a person is not a murderer, adulterer, thief, he would swear that he is righteous. How is God going to humble such a person except by the law? The law is the hammer of death, the thunder of hell, and the lightning of God's wrath to bring down the proud and shameless hypocrites. When the law was instituted on Mount Sinai, it was accompanied by lightning, by storms, by the sound of trumpets to tear to pieces that monster called self-righteousness. As long as a person thinks he is right, he is going to be incomprehensibly proud and presumptuous. He's going to hate God, despise his grace and mercy, and ignore the promises in Christ. The gospel of the free forgiveness of sins through Christ will never appeal to the self-righteous. The monster of self-righteousness, this stiff-necked beast, needs a big axe. And that is what the law is, a big axe. Accordingly, the proper use and function of the law is to threaten until the conscience is scared stiff. The awful spectacle at Mount Sinai portrayed the proper use of the law. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, a feeling of singular holiness possessed them. They boasted, We are the people of God. All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. The feeling of holiness was heightened when Moses ordered them to wash their clothes, to refrain from their wives, and to prepare themselves all around. The third day came and Moses led the people out of their tents to the foot of the mountain into the presence of the Lord. What happened? When the children of Israel saw the whole mountain burning and smoking, the black clouds rent by fierce lightning flashing up and down in the inky darkness, when they heard the sound of the trumpet blowing louder and louder, shattered by the roll of thunder, they were so frightened that they begged Moses, Speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. I ask you, what good did their scrubbing, their snow-white clothes, and their continents do them? No good at all. Not a single one could stand in the presence of the glorious Lord. Stricken by the terror of God, they fled back into their tents as if the devil were after them. The law is meant to produce the same effect today which it produced at Mount Sinai long ago. I want to encourage all who fear God, especially those who intend to become ministers of the gospel, to learn from the apostle the proper use of the law.